This episode of HBR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hey there, Hacker Public Radio. This is Semiotic Robotic, bringing you another open source news break from opensource.com. With me once again is opensource.com content manager Jen Wyke. Hi, everyone. And for the next quarter hour, we'll recap for you some of the most popular stories we've featured on opensource.com. We begin today with an article by Charlie Reisinger, IT director at Penn Manor School District of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, in the United States. Reisinger writes about his dissatisfaction with the way U.S. K-12 schools address Internet safety issues as part of their computing education programs. To satisfy federal requirements and in response to traditional local attitudes and opinions, Public high school internet safety curriculum typically addresses a narrow set of cyber safety topics, Reisinger says. For example, Reisinger explains, students might learn how to avoid downloading and installing malicious software, how to manage their passwords appropriately, and how to manage their online reputations, particularly with regard to social media. But Reisinger says that issues like these, while important, don't necessarily prepare students to think critically about their relationship to digital technologies today. He proposes a different set of topics for public school students learning about Internet safety, which introduces items like technology ethics and privacy, the fundamentals of digital rights management, online surveillance, tracking and record keeping, and open document formats. Love this story from Charlie. Charlie is a great writer, and he's yeah. a great speaker. Um, he did a talk, TEDx talk, Yes, um, that can be found in our show notes. And the thing that stuck out to me the most from that talk was two things that he really focuses on um, with his students. And one is mm-hmm. trust, trusting them to have mm-hmm. take on more responsibility, to teach their fellow students mm-hmm. how to use technology and software and their computers um, and laptops from the um, school system. And then the other thing is just the simple idea that the students deserve it. Right. They deserve that level of trust and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, an interview near, uh, or an article, I should say, near and dear to my heart. Um, I, having lived in Lancaster County, mm. right right near Penn Manor uh, School District uh, for the several years before moving to North Carolina. That's great. Um, and uh, Penn Manor has a reputation for being very progressive with its, um, you know, in-house IT and its and its um, its relationship to uh, information technology and its students. Um, but for those of you who haven't seen Charlie's talk and are wondering, you know, for more or are clamoring for more details about what Jen's talking about, um, just several weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago at this point, actually, or at the, t- at the time of recording versus the time of that you will that you will hear it. But 
um, you know, several months ago, we'll say, to be safe, uh, when Charlie gave his TEDx talk. It's at TEDx Lancaster, sponsored by my alma mater, Millersville University of Pennsylvania. He talks about the way that they did one of, I think it's one of the largest open source laptop deployments in history. Uh, the school did a, had a, has, a, has a one-to-one program, and that one-to-one program put laptops in the hands of about 1,700 high school students, and all those laptops are running open source software. Uh, and what's more, and this is what Jen was hinting at earlier, which I think, uh, you know, I agree that this is a huge, uh, huge takeaway from the, from the article and from Charlie's talk, is that all students have root access on their machines. They all have administrator access, so they can hack away at whatever they want. And uh, they, there are no restrictions placed on their laptops. And, and I think that that just is really great. And this, this talk got a lot of attention uh, online. Um, the laptops are, are Ubuntu laptops and Canonical actually did a white paper on this deployment mm-hmm. for their company blog and their, and their company website. Oh, wow. Um, and it's just gotten a, a ton of attention. But, you know, Jen was also mentioning sort of the students helping students aspect. If I'm not mistaken, what Charlie does is he leads a team of about, what did he say, like five, six or so, mm-hmm. um, sort of like... It's like the like the open source genius bar at uh, at Penn Manor High School, where it's actual peers helping their peers mm-hmm. troubleshoot their laptops. So mm-hmm. students can bring their laptops into the shop, and students are there ready to help them troubleshoot their Linux issues. Right. They so this group helped prepare the laptops to give right. to all of their fellow students. Yes. Classmates. Then they get to actually troubleshoot and teach them about how to use them and then um, how to fix their problems. Yep. And so from start to finish, they're the ones in control of the program and yep. in charge. Yep. It's fantastic. And if you want to read more about the program, you can check out Penn Manor's blog. I'll put it in the show notes at um, pennmanor.net. That's P-E-N-N-M-A-N-O-R.net. And, uh, I suggest you go there, if for no other reason, than to see what a pile of 1,700 laptops ready to deploy (laughs) looks like, and the aftermath, what a pile of 1,700 cardboard laptop boxes ready to go out to the recycler looks like. Which Uh, which might raise a whole other issue, but we'll talk about that on another podcast. That's another podcast, yeah. But uh, congratulations to them, congratulations for Charlie, and a really forward-thinking piece here, trying to get uh, people thinking about not just um, going with the status quo when it comes to technology issues, not just teaching students to properly handle today's technology, but to think ahead and to think progressively about their rights online and where technology might be going. Uh, And as one person said in the comments for this story, what Charlie's talking about is the form that civics classes should take today, Mm -hmm. right? How to understand civics and civic engagement Mm -hmm. and citizenship uh, in a digital age. So... um, I think this it just was a great story for us to feature. Mm, that's a great point. All right, next. Brian recently published an interview with Karen Sandler, Executive Director of the Software Freedom Conservancy. It's a wide-ranging interview. They chatted about Sandler's history in free and open-source software, her passion for software freedom, her time as Executive Director of the Gnome Foundation, and her priorities for the Software Freedom Conservancy as she assumes her latest leadership role. But central to their conversation was what Sandler calls open source's identity crisis. In free and open source software, we all wear many hats, Sandler said. We use the term we to mean a nonprofit community of volunteers one moment, and then we to mean our employers the next. Free software needs its contributors to be honest with themselves and each other about what their interests are and who they are speaking for at different times. 
how can we actually change the world if we don't know who we are and we're willing to let corporate influence overrun us? Ultimately, Sandler says, we need to think about how we talk about software freedom and how we connect that issue to other important struggles for social justice if we're going to advance the cause. Very interesting interview with Karen Sandler. Yes, uh, love Karen Sandler. This was an interview, no lie, dream come true for me. <laughs> I'm not gonna unabashedly a Karen Sandler fan, and she is just one of those people who is so nice and so gracious and so incredibly, incredibly sharp. Uh, it was just an honor and a pleasure to interview her uh, for this piece. And like you said, Jen, the interview was it was very wide ranging. We talked about her time at the Software Freedom Law Center. We talked about her time at GNOME. We talked about her plans for conservancy and what she's going to do at the at the um, Software Freedom Conservancy now that she's a re- executive director there. And she's just one of those folks who I think embodies open source spirit and has a great open source story. So she told me in her interview uh, that uh, her her passion for open source and free so- and software freedom most generally uh, comes from uh, her desire to understand how her pacemaker defibrillator works, right? So she has that embedded in her and she realized she can't see the source code for it. That's a big deal. I mean, yep. she, so she has this interesting um, part of her personal life that relies on open source, but then she also has this um, career history that just is impressive mm-hmm. and um, very, very um, interesting in terms of open source enthusiasm right. and promoting it. So, yeah. tell us more about her career. So, uh, she, career path. Yeah. So, Karen started at the um, Software Freedom Law Center and she did some work there and then moved to executive director of the Gnome Foundation, where okay. she was up until earlier this year. And she was really instrumental in their women's outreach program there um, and did a lot of work on that. Uh, and did a lot of good work advocating for the GNOME project. And now she is at uh, Software Freedom Conservancy, where she works um, as as executive director. And she tells me in the interview that 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 conservancy has always been very near and dear to her because she um, started it, basically. She sort of initiated that. That organization um, years ago, okay. right? So, so now she gets to to head it up, and really play a more active role there. Uh, and then, what that organization does, of course, is help fund open so- free software free software projects that um, need it, right? That need help, uh, need advocates, right? Need legal counsel, etc. So, um, Conservancy does those things for them. Of course, Bradley Kuhn. Is there as well as the outgoing director? I believe that was his position formerly. Now he's a distinguished technologist there, but they have a podcast called Free as in Freedom where they talk about software freedom issues. And I encourage our listeners to listen to that podcast if you're interested in free software because you will not hear two sharper, more passionate people talk about uh, software freedom issues. But I really like where Karen goes in this interview too. And this is sort of um, the drum she's beating now. And that is, look, we need to really, really think about how we talk about software freedom and how we talk about software in general uh, if, we're, and if we're going to make it resonate with people in their daily lives, right? And she says in the interview, I don't care if we call it free software. I don't really call it, care if we call it open source. I don't care. But if this thing called software freedom, we need to really pay attention to the language we're using to describe those issues and the way that we basically stay on message, right? How do we connect 
the issue of software freedom to other social justice issues and how do we make it resonate with people who are very passionate about social justice issues how do we get those folks to see that the, that the software that they use, the digital platforms they use, and the free and open nature of those things, or the closed proprietary nature of the, those things, makes a critical difference to the way we live and the way that we can live? Uh, and so that's where she's going in this interview. Wow, that's great. So it occurs to me that the way that we talk about issues is right up your alley as a mm-hmm. PhD student at yeah. uh, UNC Chapel Hill mm-hmm. in communications. Yeah. Um, so does that really resonate with you because you're studying these types of Absolute. language barriers? Absolutely, and absolutely. Interpersonal so, styles. Right. I call it a discourse of I call it a discourse, a manner of speaking about free and open source software, right? I mean to, to use the term to use the technical term discourse would really be to describe a way of speaking about something that organizes the way we can think about it, right? And the way that a thing gets organized and the way we speak about it does influence how it can connect up to other important issues socially. And that's really important because the more of those linkages you can make the more you can galvanize support for a cause, right? And so what Karen is very, very keen on doing is addressing the way that, I mean, some people would say the way that we sort of stay on message, but I don't like that PR, I don't like that term. It sounds very PR-ish. And Karen's talking about something broader here. She's talking about the way that we talk about something that influences the way we conceptualize how it connects Mm -hmm. to other social justice issues, um, in any kind of so, uh, social formation, any kind of you know social body or populace. So yes, uh, that's one of the reasons I, I uh, just adore Karen, if I may, and her work because I think that she's doing this, tackling a very very important uh, issue right now, and I'm very excited to see where she goes with it. That's great. It, it's it's so important how we talk about things. Um, we can get lazy when we talk about mm-hmm. issues and and. Um, especially in terms of open source software and, and freedom mm-hmm. in software. So yeah. that's a, it's a great cause for her to be taking yeah. up, and we wish her luck. Yes, absolutely. All right, and finally, in our live channel, Jen brings us an interview with Jennifer Davidson, Program Manager at Chick Tech, a United States nonprofit organization with a mission to create a community of support for women and girls pursuing tech careers. We started Chick Tech because we've experienced firsthand the lack of gender diversity in tech careers, Davidson told Jen. Without this gender diversity, women don't have a workplace that helps us feel like we belong. So we decided to create a nonprofit that would change or that would change that by creating a community of support for women and girls provide them with fun and exciting workshops to improve their confidence and abilities, and change tech culture for the better. Chick Tech chapters are popping up all over the United States, and Davidson explains that members are specifically targeting high schoolers with a program that gathers hundreds of teenage girls for multi-day technology workshops. Of course, the organization promotes open source software. We want to lower the cost barrier to entry for these girls, Davidson said. We want them to be able to install and use these tools when they get home to continue their projects, end quote. Great interview, Jen. This was a fun interview um, because it talks about such a big issue and just something that's top top of mind for, I feel like, a lot of people in tech right now is we don't have enough women in tech and we also don't have enough women in open source. And, um, you know, Jennifer really touches on that issue and she talks about how Chick Tech is um, a nonprofit 
that's based in Portland, mm -hmm. that's expanding across the U.S. and really gaining some momentum um, with the way that they're involving girls mm -hmm. um, and and probably their mothers and other women right, associated right. with these girls. Um, you know, they're, they're multi-day hackathons um, that they're doing. Um, and I think also just their style of approaching it um, where women can compete with other women in these um, environments and really feel... Um, like they belong mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. comfortable mm -hmm. um, so that they can go out into the world and take what they've learned in these comfortable environments mm -hmm. and compete with the rest of the world right. and right. and and learn you know even more beyond that so it, it was a neat interview to do with Jennifer the article talks about I think two initiatives right one is Chick Tech High School and one is right. um, uh, initiative for uh, women who are already already have sort of established careers in open or in, in technology um, sectors, right. right? So, what's the second one besides high school? What are the What does the other one do? Do you remember? I think it had something to do with Arduino training, right? Or so the way that I understood it is yeah. that um, there's the high school one for younger women, mm -hmm. um, and then there's the careers side of it for mm -hmm. older women. I see. Okay. Um, so gotcha, those, those are gotcha. the two main initiatives. Oh, okay. Okay. And sort of broken down into um, age groups. Uh huh. Uh huh. And right now, I mean, what what um, Jennifer talked to you most about was the Chick Tech High School right. initiative, right? Well, because I think they're interested in getting more chapters uh, of Chick Tech open throughout the country. We got one in San Francisco, for example. Which, and, you know, they seem to be rolling out nationwide, which is fantastic. And I think they're interested in targeting more uh, young women so that they can do these sort of two-day hackathons and right. do this sort of gather that sort of young enthusiasm for, for tech. Right. Um, making an investment in um, the younger generations for mm -hmm. the future. Right. Um, because they really believe that a diverse tech industry is a better tech industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, the founder... Janice mm -hmm. um, makes a comment in one of her um, profiles online about how she realized that it wasn't going to happen on its own. Um, anyone interested in making software, tech, open source, a more diverse place mm -hmm. um, should do their part. Yeah, They should be part of the movement. Um, you can mentor young girls. Um, and young young guys, um, mm -hmm. I think that they're also welcoming of the male gender, um, yeah. but they yeah. focus <laughs> on the female gender um, yeah. just because they feel like there's been a disadvantage there, or maybe mm -hmm. just less of a focus. Yeah, sure. I love this quotation from the interview that uh, Jennifer gave you. It says, um, "We we she's talking about the um, Chick Tech High School events, and she says, quote." We fill a university engineering department with 100 high school girls, more girls than many engineering departments have ever seen. The, the participants can look around the building and see that girls from all backgrounds are just as excited about tech as they are. Just love that image. You know? I love that too. Yeah. It, it's neat because it talks about you know the impact that this has on the girls themselves, but also mm -hmm. the impact that this has on everyone else. Right, right. It's important for everyone to see this happening mm -hmm. and also the girls to go through it themselves absolutely yep and uh story did really well on opensource.com slash dot picked it up so we've got a little bit of uh interesting worldwide attention on this story which was really great for us feels uh, good to be on slash dot <laughs> your your first slash dot my first right? one yes Jen's first slash dotting <laughs> you heard it right here first folks <laughs> Great, yeah, great response to the to the story and a lot of interest here. And we wish Chick Tech uh, lots of luck mm -hmm. in the future.
Well, folks, we come to the end of another open source news break from opensource.com. You can check out the links we've placed in the show notes for this episode. And you can follow along on social media at Open Source Way on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contribute an open source story, find us at opensource.com slash participate. Yes, very important page there. And until next time, Hacker Public Radio friends, this is Semiotic Robotic wishing you peace, love, and open source. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.